Amen. What a joy. Isn't that awesome? Praise God for that and, and, and the impact that one person can have in a family and perhaps in a whole country, in a whole region, and we rejoice with that. You know, <clears throat> uh, my wife recently leased a, an SUV, and she realized that um, when she would get to a red light, the engine would shut down. <clears throat> and then when she would get ready to go, it would turn back on. And it happened every time she came to a red light and she would stop, the engine would shut off, and then she would go and it would come on by itself. And she's just looking at the thing and says, what's wrong with this thing? And, uh, and, and, and we discovered that it has an automatic feature, supposed to be a gas saving feature, where um, it automatically turns off when, when you're not on the road, when you're at a stoplight to save your gas, and then it turns back on. But it drives my wife crazy. She doesn't like it. Uh, and, and so uh, we found out that there's a way that you can turn it off. There's a little button you can put and push, and it turns that automatic feature off, except that you have to do that every time you get in the car. The default of the car is to be on automatic shutoff, uh, and if you don't want that, you have to intentionally press a button when you get in so that it wouldn't do that. Well, you know, we have been called to be holy. We, we looked at, we've been looking at the letter uh, to the Ephesians, and we noticed that at the very beginning, there is a calling for us to be holy, and being holy uh, reminds us of who we are in Christ. It reminds us that we're supposed to walk in newness, that we're supposed to avoid the darkness, we're supposed to desire oneness. We, we are called to be spirit-filled disciples, which includes being spirit-filled husbands and wives and, and being spiritual children and parents and being spiritual employees and employers. All of this is a tall order, and, and, and this is the call of God on our lives, and I want to do it. The problem is that when I get up in the morning, I am not on a spirit-filled mode. I don't know about you. So maybe some of you, when you get up in the morning, you're automatically spirit-filled. But, uh, the, yeah, there was one person here. Uh, but most of the time, my, <clears throat> my default mode is, is the sinful uh, nature, and I need to be intentional about choosing to be spirit-filled. We are called today to be, uh, we are called and accountable, and Call and accountable people, we need to set that spiritual mode every day. Today's message is called A Spiritual Battle. And our text is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. I'd like to invite you to go there with me. Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. We're going to read 10 verses of this passage, but I want us to start with verse 10 right now and, and just get the gist of what. Uh, this passage is going to be about. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Father, we pray today as we open up the scriptures 
that your spirit that inspired them would be the spirit that speaks to us. I pray that you soften our hearts, that you open our ears, so that when we receive your word, we'll be obedient to it. We dedicate this time to you. We pray that you remove distraction, that you, that you forgive our sins, and that you help us to focus on what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we look at this admonition from Ephesians, we see that the, that the writer is wrapping it up. He is coming to the end of the letter. He's reminded uh, the, uh, the Ephesians who they are in Christ and how they're supposed to live. And now when he comes to the end, listen, he says, finally, be strong. Finally, know that you can do this. Know that this is possible. All of these things that you are called to be, all of these ways in which you are called to live, you are able to do it. There is strength and there is power and there is provision in God's spirit. We can stand strong. So let's talk about that briefly. The first one is, uh, the first thing I'd like to say to us is that a spiritual battle engages a spiritual enemy. In order to win the battle, we need to know who our enemy is. If you don't know who your enemy is, it can turn out badly for you and it can turn out badly for others. Back in 2014, our military forces, our U.S. forces were in Afghanistan and, and they were fighting the Taliban and, uh, and there was this rescue mission that the U.S. Air Force was engaged in. They needed to go in in order to come to the uh, help of our soldiers and they needed to drop some bombs in a particular area where the Taliban was. And uh, the control tower called in the coordinates to uh, those pilots and they began to direct themselves to those coordinates except without them knowing the coordinates were wrong. In fact, the coordinates were the coordinates where our soldiers were. And so these pilots, the US Air Force pilots dropped bombs on our own people and people died. This is called, in military terms, it's called friendly fire. There's nothing friendly about it. It's really a sad thing. And you know, there's nothing that the enemy would love more than we would engage in friendly fire. That we would confuse ourselves about who the enemy is. And so he wants us to know. The, the, the scripture wants us to know who our enemy is. It tells us in verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is Satan, our enemy is the devil and his army of demons. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against human beings. It, it's very clear here, church, our enemy is not the people who don't believe in God. Our enemy are not the secularists. Our enemy is not the Democrats. Our enemy is not the Republicans. 
Our enemy is not the Muslims. Our enemy is not human. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is Satan. And we need to have that very clear if we're going to win this battle. There is nothing that Satan would want more than that we would engage in friendly fire. Your enemy is not the church member who disagrees with you. Your enemy is not the person who, who is different from you or who holds different views than you. I have some friends that I've been friends with for a long time. We've, we've spent some great times in ministry together when, we in, when we're in the same city and now God has called us to different places. One of them is a professor at a seminary in California. The other one's a pastor in Dallas. The other one's a pastor in South Texas. Another one is a counselor at a university. And from time to time, we, uh, we, we get in this group text and we share thoughts and we share ideas and, and about what's going on, whether they're social issues or uh, theological things or things going on in our denomination. And, and very often, at least one in the group will disagree. And they will just make their argument and we'll be arguing against that person. And, and, and we'll, we engage in this discussion and, and, and sometimes we start joking or sometimes we, we become, we pretend to be mean to each other or we're actually mean to each other. And then at the end of it all, we just acknowledge that we're friends, that we love each other and, and we pray for each other. We may have strong disagreements about issues, but we remember that we're not enemies. We're friends. That, that our enemy is not those who disagree with us. Do you have people in your life that frustrate you? Amen. Three people, three of you have people that frustrate you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But listen, you have people in your life that frustrate you? Let me tell you something. They're not your enemy. You may feel like they are, but the Bible says that your enemy is not human, is spiritual, invisible. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. And if we're going to be successful, we need to acknowledge that so that we can fight that, so that we can stand strong against our spiritual enemy. Secondly, our spiritual battle requires spiritual gear. Once you know what, who, who it is that you're facing, who your enemy is, then you need to find the right gear. A spiritual battle is fought with spiritual gear. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to be with my family in Spain, and we went to this old town called Toledo. It used to be the, the capital of Spain back in the medieval times. It's a walled city that has a castle and, and a church at the top of the hill. And, and so the shuttle bus drops you off there outside of the wall of the city. And then you begin to walk these little narrow streets back from the medieval times. And there's all kinds of shops, which is a very dangerous thing to walk through with my wife. Uh, but what I didn't realize was that, um, that we would come to a shop and, and we would see uh, this dagger and my son, my younger son, would fall in love with it. I was trying to cat, guard myself on the other front, but he saw this. It's, it's uh, beautiful. The handiwork is, is great. It, this is a formidable weapon. You don't want to come close to me and make me upset when I'm holding this. It, it, it will hurt you, right? This is a formidable weapon. But let me tell you something. As, as nice as, and as beautiful as this weapon is, it is no good 
in my battle with Satan because it is not a physical fight that we're fighting. It is a spiritual war. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 say, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The weapons of our spiritual warfare, our spiritual gear are able to demolish spiritual strongholds. We are destroying arguments that rise up against the knowledge of God. We bring every thought captive to Christ when we have the right gear, when we use the spiritual armor that God has given us. The writer to the Ephesians is a house prisoner. He tells us in verse 20 he, that he's in chains and it is very likely that as he is there in that house, there is a guard at the door, a Roman soldier dressed in the full impressive armor of a Roman soldier. And as Paul is either writing or dictating this letter, he looks at the soldier and he has an idea. Oh, I have a visual for how we can get the right gear in our spiritual battle. And so he tells us, he writes to us, he writes to the believers in Asia Minor in verse 13 through 17. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the press, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Incredible illustration, incredible object lesson of the armor of God. There is so much here that I think one of our wit classes spending a whole semester just talking about the armor of God, where we're not going to go in detail, but, but let me tell you here that our gear consists of truth. It consists of righteousness. It consists of the gospel. It consists of of our salvation. It consists of faith. It consists of the word of God. That's the gear that we need to put on. We get wrapped up in the truth. We get dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We advance the gospel with our feet. We, we take on the helmet of salvation. We, we use the shield of faith to protect ourselves from the attacks of the enemy. We we use the word of God as if it were a sword because it is a double-edged sword that's able to penetrate and to divide. Do you have that gear on today? Is that what you put on this morning when you were getting ready to go to church? Did you spend more time putting on the armor of God than putting on your makeup? Did you spend more time putting on the armor of God than putting on hair product? Do you put the armor of God on every day? It is the best spiritual gear because we have the best spiritual gear provider in the universe. Some of us think that we can come up with better gear. 
You know, we think if I can just get on social media and set everybody right, if I can argue with everybody the same stupid things on social media, I'm fighting a spiritual warfare. All you're doing is being a stumbling block to others. Some of us think that, that we have better gear and, and so we say, you know, my gear is going to be to, to get into political realm and, and get overly involved and get angry and, and get mad and, and trash the opponent and, and, and I'm fighting a spiritual battle. No, no, you're not. You're just distracting yourself from the primary battle that God has called you to be. Some of us think that we fight spiritual battles by, by being angry at the world and, and telling them how wrong they are and how right we are. And all we're doing is we're misrepresenting the God who loves the lost. Our gear will never be better than God's gear. Our strategy will never be better than God's strategy. We can be consumed by good battles, but just because you feel tired just because you feel exhausted doesn't mean you've been fighting with the right gear. Thursday night, Pittsburgh Steelers played with the Cleveland Browns and at the end of the game, uh, when, when the score had already been decided, uh, the, the quarterback was sacked and, and, uh, and, and, and Miles Garrett uh, got the, the quarterback's helmet and hit him on the head with it. Now, let me tell you, the helmet is legal gear in football but it's supposed to protect your head. It's not a weapon to hurt somebody else. I don't know when these football players forget that they're there to win football games. You don't win football games by hitting people with football helmets. I'm afraid that sometimes we get the wrong impression of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. We get angry and we get passionate and we get excited and we start hitting people with spiritual helmets even if it's the helmet of salvation praise God we must face our spiritual enemy with the spiritual gear that God has provided it's truth and righteousness it is salvation and faith it is the gospel it is the word of God major on that specialize on that train with that Master that gear. Learn God's truth and apply it. Obey it. Receive the righteousness of Jesus. Stand confident in it. Protect yourselves against the attacks of the enemy with, with faith. That's how you protect yourself. The enemy is shooting fiery arrows at you all the time. He's making you doubt God's character. He's making you doubt God's word. He's making you doubt your identity. He's making you doubt your call. He's making you doubt your salvation. He's making you doubt your worth. He's shooting arrows at you all the time. And, and you need to put on the gear of faith and protect yourself from that. Your faith is not wishful thinking. Your faith is not something that, that you made up. Your faith is founded on the solid rock. Your faith is placed on God's promises. Your faith is on a God who can. Your faith is on a God who will. Your faith is on a God who wants to. Your faith shields against the enemy's attack. So do not let the devil's weapons intimidate you. They, they might be strong, but listen to what God's word said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I say that again? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I wish you could get excited about that. God has provided us the best weapons for our spiritual battle. We have the best spiritual gear that anyone could have. Let's put it on and use it. It is guaranteed. God knows who our enemy is. God knows what kind of battle we're in. So he's provided exactly what you need in spiritual gear. Stand strong wearing that. Thirdly, a spiritual battle overcomes with spiritual power. We're called and accountable. We're called to live differently. We're accountable to live a life worthy of the calling, to walk in newness, to desire oneness, to avoid darkness, to be spiritual husbands and wives, to be spiritual children and parents, to be spiritual employees and employers. We're called to be spirit-filled disciples. But in our spiritual battle, as we know who our enemy is, as we know what right gear we need to put on, we also need to know where the power comes from. And it tells us here in verses 18 through 20, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, it's interesting that throughout this passage when Paul is telling us be strong in the Lord. He says that we should stand strong before the battle and that in the midst of the battle, we should stand strong and that when the battle is done, we should remain standing strong. But you know what the paradox about our call to stand strong is? Is that the way that you stand strong in a spiritual battle is on your knees. The way that you fight the spiritual battle is on your knees. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. The power for victory comes from the Spirit of God. And you can access the Spirit's power when you kneel, when you pray, when you seek His face. Praying the Spirit means to connect with His Spirit, to seek His will. Praying the Spirit means that you lay down your weaknesses in exchange for his power. Praying the Spirit means that you surrender and that you claim the promise of Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon forged against you will prevail. Listen, the enemy is powerful. He's more powerful than you. He's more powerful than me. But he's not more powerful than God's Spirit. That's why we try and we seek his Spirit. I've told you stories about our cat, Polo. Uh, Polo is used to having my wife leave the back door ajar so that way he can use his little paws to open the door and go outside whenever he wants. And then when he comes back in, he just pushes the door open and he comes inside. But I, when I'm home, 
I don't like to do that. I close the back door and I lock it. And so when Paul wants to go outside, he, I'm upstairs in my comfy chair reading and I hear downstairs, I hear Polo scratching the door. He wants to go outside, but he can't open it because it's locked. And after a couple of tries, he doesn't, he doesn't stay there too long. After a couple of tries, he meows at me. One or two times he meows and then he waits. Somehow he thinks that I'm going to get up from my comfy chair. And that I'm going to go all the way downstairs and I'm going to open the door so the little punk cat can go and play outside. So he meows and he waits and sure enough, I get up from my comfy chair, I come downstairs and he's just looking at me like I knew you were going to come. And I open the door and he goes out. You know, sometimes there are challenges that we're trying to use our little paws to scratch them open. There are obstacles that we're trying to remove. And sometimes we just need to just sit back and call to God and wait on him. When we pray in the spirit's power, in the spirit, his power is unleashed. When we kneel before God, our, our shadow gets smaller and his light gets brighter. Do you remember when the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt and they were on the way to the promised land? They were so happy that God had delivered them. They were, they were rejoicing about the victory. They were marching with confidence to the promised land. And then they came to the Red Sea. And they didn't have their swimming trunks with them. They didn't have boats. And guess what they did? What, what did God's people do whenever we face a challenge? We complain, don't we? You know what they told Moses? They said, really? There were better graves in Egypt. They already thought they were dead because they turned around and Pharaoh's army was coming towards them and, and there was a Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them and to both sides there were mountains and they said, okay, we're just gonna die here. We really would have liked to be buried in an Egyptian cemetery. They're a lot nicer. We're pessimistic, critical. You know what Moses said to them? In Exodus 14, 14? Moses said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now there was a time, there would come a time when Israel would have to move. There would be a time when, when the Red Sea would have to open and, and the Israelites would march with confidence again towards the promised land. But, but right now, what the Israelites needed to do was to be still and wait for God to show up and wait for the power of God to be manifested and wait for God to show what he can do. Do you want to win your spiritual battles? Get on your knees. Do you wanna have victory in your life? Get on your knees. 
Do, do you want God to remove that obstacle in your life? Get on your knees and pray. Fight your personal battles with prayer. Fight your family battles with prayer. Fight your work battles with prayer. Fight your community battles with prayer. Fight our church's battles with prayer. Fight the kingdom's battles with prayer. Stand strong, relying on the Spirit's power. Next week we're having a, what we call a church in conference. Church in conference is, is when we come together to make decisions, particularly in November. It's a, our annual meeting where we adopt a budget for the next year. We elect deacons and we make other important decisions. And here at Calvary, we have something that's called congregational church government. Congregational church government means that every member of the church has the privilege and the responsibility to speak and to vote, has a voice and a vote. And, and what that means is that we are one body of diverse individuals that are working for one purpose under one Lord. And so when we come together to make decisions, we, we listen to each other, we, we pray together, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in charge. And when the Holy Spirit is in charge of a meeting like that, there is harmony and there is respect and there is peace because that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. And God's will gets done. However, when, when God's people don't get prepared spiritually, then the enemy takes advantage of the opportunity and he sows seeds of discord and dissension and division and distrust. I want you to know, as you might already know, that God is doing some great things in our church. We're making disciples. We need to get better at it, but disciples are being made. People are getting baptized. Groups are starting. We're going to the nations. We're feeding the poor. We're counseling families that are struggling. We're discipling the next generation. We're doing great things. God's hand is on this church. We're not perfect. We have a, a lot of challenges. We're not meeting budget right now. We're having trouble figuring out how we're going to pay the bills at the end of the year. That's a challenge. We, we've had more money come in this year than in other years, but much of that has gone to the Student Center Project, and we're happy about what is happening over there with our students. The, the student ministry is thriving. And, and as our church grows, there are leadership challenges and governance questions that come up. And, and, and as we look at those victories and challenges, we need the Holy Spirit's power. I really feel that God is up to something here at Calvary. I feel like, like what's ahead is better than what's been behind. That, that our future is better than our past. I believe that God is about to do something big in our midst, but we need the Holy Spirit's power. So we pray. We pray for his spirit to be in control of it all. And you know that the spirit is in control when each of us seek his will. You see, when we make decisions as a church body, it's not about doing an individual's will. No one individual should impose his will on the congregation. That's not 
what congregational government is. In fact, congregational government is not about the will of the people. You know, we talk about democracy. Democracy is a great thing, but democracy literally means the rule of the people. But, but when we come together as a church, it's not technically a democracy, although it looks like it, because we're not looking for the rule of the people. We're not looking for the will of a group, because a group can agree and still be wrong. A group can have majority and still be outside of the will of God. So we're not looking for the will of the people, we're looking for the will of God. So when we come together, we, we pray and, and we listen to each other and, and we listen to God's voice and we try to discern what God's will is so that we do exactly that. So let's not be afraid of debate. Let's not be afraid of, of disagreement. Let's not be afraid of discussion. Let, let's not be afraid of a dissenting opinion. But let's do beware about disrespect. Let's beware about division. Let's beware of destroying one another. Let's beware of our spiritual enemy. Ours is a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy requiring spiritual gear and relying on spiritual power. So let's get on our knees and let's pray. And when you finish praying, pray again. Pray. 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 That's where the power comes from. Our spiritual battle engages a spiritual enemy, so stand strong against him. Our spiritual battle requires spiritual gear, so stand strong wearing your spiritual gear. Our spiritual battle overcomes with spiritual power, so stand strong relying on the Spirit's power. I'll close with this. There is a man who plays a trumpet in our 930 service. His name is George O'Megan. He's an ophthalmologist in our area. And he's written a book that tells the story of his family. His dad was a pastor in Russia at the beginning of the 20th century. And there was a lot of war and revolution going on. And he was facing persecution for his faith. And so he had to move his wife and eight children to other places. And as he continued to experience persecution, he decided one day that he would begin a long journey, really an impossible journey. That he and his family, his wife and his eight children would travel by foot through the Siberian region of Russia, down to the southern part of Russia, through the northwest of China, through the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, and all the way across China to the coast. Did I tell you they were traveling by foot? Do you know how cold it gets in Siberia? Do you know how difficult it is to walk through a desert? You know how big China is? They walked. And they experienced cold and illness and immigration problems. And they got to the coast of China and, and they got on a boat and, and that boat brought them to California. And as they arrived there, they learned that their church back home in Russia had assumed, because they hadn't heard from them, there was no internet, there was no cell phones, 
they had assumed that they had either died in the war or they had died in, in the cold, snowy path or they had died in the desert. But the family arrived in California and somehow Dr. Georgia Megan, one of the children, made it to McAllen, Texas. And he plays the trumpet. He did this morning. The hymn was Victory in Jesus. He wasn't supposed to make it. The family wasn't supposed to make it. It was an impossible journey. But it was God's will that they would make it. And when something is God's will, he will make sure it gets done. He is the God of the impossible. God will accomplish his will with or without us. But what a joy it is when we can say, I want to be part of your will. I want to fight in that battle. I want to be right in the midst of God's will with my gear on, with my knee pads on for prayer, and with the assurance that he has already given us the victory. And so we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you to pray today. We've been talking about prayer. And the altar is open here. You can come and you can kneel. You can pray for our church. You can pray for a need that you have. You can pray for someone else. But beyond the opportunity of coming up and praying here, I, I want to do something a little different than we usually do. I want to encourage you to pray for one another where you are. Maybe you have a need and you need to turn to someone close to you and say, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. Maybe, maybe you, you're the one who wants to pray for someone and you can say to the person close to you, how can I pray for you? We can pray for each other. We can pray for our church. We can pray for our family. We can pray for those that are not here. We can pray for the precious people that got baptized today as they get ready to go back to China. But let's pray. Can we pray? Get with one another and let's pray for each other. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for God's glory right now.